You guys ready for Christmas? So the rest of you are still waiting to get that last minute shopping in tomorrow, right? Right? Anybody going to hit the, the shops tomorrow? Anybody going to do anything tomorrow? No? You're going to chill out and rest? That's a good plan. Um, I am uh, the world's worst procrastinator when it comes to buying gifts because I'm always looking for the best gift, and so I wait and wait to find them. And this year, we've kind of come to a place, again, I'm confessional, we've kind of come to a place where we decided that uh, we just weren't going to have anything for each other, my wife and I, and uh, so we, we just really couldn't think of anything we wanted that bad, or she would find something she wanted, and she's like, no, nah, I don't really want that, I don't want to spend the money on it, or I, I would say, I don't really want anything either, you know, so we, we finally found a couple of things to do. Yesterday, we went and got a little crazy and went to Leeds, and I uh, got out in that mix, and it was quite fun. Uh, our kids are still probably sleeping now. Uh, they were oversleeping, I think, and it, we just wore everybody out, you know, get out of the mix of it, and the part that makes me laugh, but also makes me frustrated is the part about all the kind of craziness that happens when people get it in their head, they've got to get there ahead of you. You know what I'm saying? That no matter what you're doing, no matter where you're going, at this time of year, it's like it's a mad fight everywhere you go to get to the thing. I mean, on the way there, everybody's passing each other and pulling over in front of each other. And I mean, I got there to the outlet mall, and when I pulled up, I had my eye on the spot where somebody's about to pull out, and somebody pulled in from the other side that was closer to it, and it was almost going to be like a head-on collision, you know? My wife, after I pulled into the spot, said uh, they would have had that spot if it was me. <laughs> and I just can't give up. I got to have it. You know, I got to win. And so uh, it, it seems like a mad rush that we're in, and I cannot wait until this part of it is over. And I don't want to be done with Christmas in the season of remembering the birth of Christ, the incarnation, but I, I do want to be done with all that part of it, you know. Um, the problem is, is that this Christmas season is a reminder. In fact, I think it's a gift of grace from the Lord that we have to struggle through the fighting and struggle through, uh, not just with that kind of stuff, but with some of the fighting in our families, the bickering or even the non-talking, right? Or maybe the uh, arguments that we have that we stop having when people come over or just that our, our kids or even our parents or our spouses won't behave, you know, the things they should be doing, they're not doing. Whatever it is, I know we're, we're kind of, we're tired of that stuff, but at the same time, it's a grace of the Lord for him to show us that really we kind of forget about it through a lot of the year, but this life as a Christian is a constant battle. It is a war. In fact, I, I jokingly call Christmas time the war of Christmas, but only half joking because it is a war, and it's all the time. It's not just at Christmas. And today we're going to talk about something that you should carry over into your Christmas time with families. Um, but it's also something you should carry out for the rest of your year, for the rest of your life. This is something that's going to be a big deal for you if you understand what it means to find your joy in Christ alone. And so we've been continuing a series, this is our last, the fourth of the four installments of this series about joy, the dawning of indestructible joy. And we are so excited to be in this part of it, I think, but at the same time, we're wondering, how's it going to go? Where's it going to go from here? And we're going to kind of culminate it tonight in our, in our time around the candlelight service uh, but I want us to just look in the text together in the Bible we're going to be today in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So if you would get to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that's where we're going to sit in our time today. And I want you just to have that there. I want you to be ready for that. Get your notes ready if you're taking notes today. I'm going to read the text. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're just going to dive right in. Now, Hebrews... Chapter 12 is a major turning point, just so you're aware. Everything that's come before this, 
this is now kind of a turning point in, in a way, and it's especially a turning point from what's gone on just in the previous chapter, where he's talking about all the heroes of the faith and all those that have gone before us and who have carried out the faith uh, in the face of a lot of problems, in the face of a lot of danger, and some ended well, some didn't end well, some were uh, lauded as heroes, Abraham, Moses, the folks like that, and some, it says later on in Hebrews 11, were sawn in two, they were tortured, they lost their lives in the process of living out their faith. I mean, it doesn't always go as one would hope, right? And we like to think about all the good positive endings, but a lot of them are martyrs. Funny enough, that's what the word witness uh, means. What it comes from in the Greek is, is martyr. Um, in fact, when you look here in chapter 12, we're going to see that right there in the very beginning, being surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. It's kind of funny how it's people looking at us, maybe. The only place in Scripture where it talks about maybe people watching us from heaven, but also a cloud of witnesses and the idea of a cloud of martyrs that are around us, cheering us on in that sense, living vicariously through the Holy Spirit in us by Jesus kind of thing, in that kind of a, of a, a metaphorical way. Uh, but let's, let's just pray together and ask the Lord to direct our time to understand what it means to have to fight for joy. And uh, I think the Lord will show true today some things that we need to, to live differently. So let me, let me just uh, read the text and I'll pray for us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, we beg you today, Please direct our hearts and minds so that we might be focused as we walk through your word and as we try to unpack what you have intended to tell us today through your word, which has always been your message, that we are to find our hope and joy in you and you alone. Father, I ask that you would quiet the crazy that is in our hearts and minds around this season and that you would give us ears to hear and that you would pierce our hearts for the truth of the gospel of your son, Jesus, and that we would be different when we leave, more conformed to the image and person of your son, Jesus, for his glory. And I ask that in his name. Amen. All right, so let's read this text again and kind of let it sit on us. It's kind of it's two verses. It's really short and sweet. It's really one sentence uh, in the Greek, and it's, it's a really, uh, really cool thing. It's divided up just kind of half and half in what we're to do and kind of how we're supposed to do it by relying on Jesus. So let's look at verse 1 and 2, read it again. Therefore, therefore meaning everything that's gone before, everything we just talked about, he says it again, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, by all those that have come before that have been in the faith, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, that's the first verb of action we see in there when it says this is, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's kind of confusing in the English, but in the Greek it's not. And he's saying here, that's the main point. He's encouraging us to run with endurance. He's encouraging us to let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Paul gives us imagery of what would have been very, very clear and known in the Greek mindset uh, of races that would happen all across uh, the known world, and they would be done so in a way that was like marathons or maybe just the length. Uh, of the stadium, uh, and they, they would run high speed, long, long time, the kind of runs you guys do, right? 
The long time running. All of you do long time running. Right? If somebody's chasing me, I run. It's about as far as it goes. Right? I should run. I don't run. But here Paul's talking about it. I know what running is. I remember running. Some of you remember running. And uh, he's talking about running here. And he says that since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. None of it. If you've ever run in a race, you don't usually wear a lot of extra clothing. You know what I mean? You don't. In fact, the Greeks were known for not wearing clothing at all in some of their races. Uh, that's kind of weird. We don't want to think about it. But that's what they would do. They would do that, and, and they, they would just run without anything because they thought it hindered them from getting at the top speed at which they could get, it hindered them from being as good as they could be in their other activities they did. Um, but here we see, he says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now he's going to tell us how we do that, right? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, or the founder, the starter and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now that's a weird statement right there. I want us to key in actually on verse 2. Before I even get you any further, let me just give you kind of our thesis statement for the day. So this is all you take home with you today. This will be the, the biggest part I want you to take home today. Today I'm encouraging you and I'm pushing you, and I think the scriptures are pushing us. Uh, basically, so Paul, uh, not Paul, we don't know who the, the person is. Maybe it's Paul, maybe it's another. The author of Hebrews is telling us under leading of the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to do this thing. I'll put it in my own kind of lingo. I'm not a runner. I'm more of a fighter, right? So I'm going to say it like this. Fight for the all-satisfying joy of Jesus. He's telling us to fight for the all-satisfying joy of Jesus. That's going to sound a little crazy to some of us in the room, so let me just, just bear with me. Let me walk through this text together, and we'll see where we're going. Fight for the all-satisfying joy of Jesus. Look at verse 2. He talks about this. First of all, right behind it, he says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, that's a weird word here, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, the first thing we have to understand if we want to find true, all-satisfying joy, and we find joy in a lot of stuff. We'll get to this more in a minute. We find joy in a lot of things. We find joy in a lot of things, but that joy does not last. If you don't believe me, come to my house on Christmas morning and watch a few presents get opened. It doesn't take long, does it? And the joy is gone in those things. Now, if you try to understand how to find true, all-satisfying joy, we have to first fix our eyes on the only source from which we can find that true, all-satisfying joy, and that is Jesus. That's what Paul talks about, not Paul, sorry, the author says to us here, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now that's a little bit of a crazy sight, so let me put it to you this way. In order for us to find that joy, okay, in your notes, be number one, this is how you have to do it. You have to fight to fix your eyes on the prize, who is Jesus. You have to fight to fix your eyes on the prize, who is Jesus. Now that's a fight. It is a continual fight to do that. And let me tell you why. Because when you're in the throes of a fight or in the throes of a race, it's really hard to set your eyes 
on the, when it's a long game, it's really hard to set your eyes on the end goal. Sometimes you're just hoping not to get pelted, right? Sometimes you're just hoping not to pass out in the first mile. Sometimes you're just hoping that you can make it and not get sick when you drink your first cup of water at the table when you run by. Or, or maybe you, in life, you're thinking more so, I hope I can just get through today. Right? I just got to get through today and get through with this job today. I got to get through with this time with the family on Christmas Day. I got to just get through with this time with, with, without my spouse who's not around right now. I'm going to get through this holiday because I'm missing someone I love who won't be with me this year. Whatever it is that's coming at you, whatever it is that's hard and heavy, a lot of times it draws our attention in and we don't have our eyes set on Jesus. And so the first thing we have to do is fight, fight, fight to fix our eyes on Jesus. Like he says here, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. He could have said run the race. But he didn't because the whole idea of running the race to know that you're going to get where you're trying to get to is keeping your eyes on Jesus. You, you, could, you could do a lot of good things in running the race. But if you don't have your eyes fixed on the goal, on the end goal at all, then you might miss the point. You, you put your eyes down long enough, and when you look up again, you're way off the mark, and you're off the path. And it so easily happens to us. So I'll, I'll put it to you a different way, right? This is a way that I heard it from. I can't remember who it was that heard it from the first time, but begin with the end in mind. Begin your day, begin your week, begin your lunch, begin your hour, begin your new task with the end in mind. How much different would our lives look if we took a moment to, to reorient ourselves and find out where we're headed and fixed our eyes on Jesus before we, before we started the next thing? How much different would we be? How much different would our thoughts and our heart and our actions be, our words be? Listen, I'm going to remind us, Matthew 5, 8, Jesus says it in a different way. He's talking about the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's confusing to us in the wordage there. Blessed are the pure in heart. What that really means is blessed are those who are pure in heart that have one focus. They are singularly focused, and that is on Jesus. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So when you set your eyes on the end goal, who is Jesus, it's really easy to keep that end goal there. It's really easy to keep the focus for that moment but it so quickly falls away. We got to begin with the end in mind. Look, he says this, for the joy that was set before him. Now, what does that mean? That's a question you should ask yourself. If you read scripture, something comes off and it sounds kind of different or weird, you should ask the question, what does that mean for the joy that was set before him? I mean, it can mean a lot of things. Look at the text for me. Looking at Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Well, maybe it means he enjoyed the cross. Do we think that's the case? No. We know it was torturous. We know that it, it was one of the worst killing machines ever known to that date. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. So we know he didn't enjoy the cross. He despised the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, here's what I think it means, simply put, based on context. And I'll give you a few verses in a minute to kind of back this up. Simply put, his joy was the glory of God and the salvation of the lost, his bride, the church. Okay? The joy that was set before him was a future joy that would happen after the cross where he had purchased those who would be his and that he had paid the debt that they deserved to endure, paid the price, absorbed the wrath that you and I all deserve to absorb from God the Father because of our rebellion and sinfulness. He knew that by going to the cross, his joy was going to be in that work he would purchase and bring out 
a people of his own, his bride, the church, all of us who believe in him. So he's thinking about the Father, the glory of the Father, and the salvation of all of those who would believe in him. Okay, so read that in context now. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Think of it like this. I'll back this up with Isaiah 50, Isaiah 53, 10 through 12. Talking about the coming Messiah, it says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. You see, this, this should blow our minds. Do you understand that we're talking about finding our joy in Jesus, but that when Jesus went to the cross, he had two things that were forever linked together in his mind that he found his utmost joy in. His utmost joy was in the Father and in his purchasing you on the cross. You are the joy of Jesus when he goes to the cross. You are in whom he finds his joy along with the Father because of his work on the cross to buy you into the family by his shedding of his own blood on the cross. He loved you so much that he went to the cross for you on your behalf, and it was his joy to do so. Do you you understand? This should change everything for us. This should change. We find joy in things, which is not bad, but we find ultimate joy in things that are not ultimate because the one who is ultimate found his joy in the Father and in us. And that was what drove him to do everything he has done. Everything. Singularly focused. Why do you think he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God? Because he was pure of heart. Right? And we are declared that in him if we put our hope and faith in Christ. He found us to be his joy. Even though you've done X, Y, Z, even though you still struggle with this thing or that, even though you still don't live out this faith as you should, even though you have messed up this week royally, he loved you and you were his joy knowing you would do all those things. That's how much he loves you. That's how much his joy is in you and in the Father. If you don't believe that, you don't really believe the gospel. If you don't understand that, yes, you don't deserve it, but yes, he loves you that much, then you don't understand the gospel. It should impact every day in everything we do, in every situation, in every family. And we don't always live that out. I don't. And because it did that for him, that he found his joy in us, it should be reciprocal. We're made in his image to reflect his glory, to reflect him personally, right? And so listen, I'll say it to it for us. Our all-satisfying joy, therefore, is the same if we are His. It is not found in the temporary things of the earth, but in the eternal One who gave His life for us so that we might enjoy Him forever, starting right now. Right now. 
Listen, I'll give you some of this. Listen to this, some of these guys we talked about, right? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 through 34. Just going back a little earlier. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, he's talking to the Hebrew people here, so after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. That possession is Jesus. So he's saying, he's commending them by saying, hey, you helped those, you went to those in prison, you served them, even though it meant that people took all your stuff, even though it meant people took your property, that you lost all your things, because it didn't matter to you because you had an enduring and abiding hope and a better possession in Jesus. He says that to them. Hebrews 11, we'll go to one of the heroes, right? Hebrews 11, with uh, Moses, verse 24, 24 through 26. By faith, Moses, when he had, was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Man, if that could be said about us, amen? He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward, being with Jesus forever. Didn't know who he was by name in that sense, but being with his Savior forever. That was his greater reward. Take it one more step. Hebrews 13. We'll go a little further than where we are today. Hebrews 13, 13 through 14. Therefore, this is our exhortation, therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Church, I'm asking you the question today, are you seeking the city that is to come, or are you seeking a city here? Where are you seeking to put your hope in? In whom are you seeking to find your ultimate, all-satisfying joy? If it's your spouse, they will fail you, because they cannot live up to that standard. It's impossible. They're not made to do that. If it is your children, they will never live up to what you ask of them, and they will be bitter towards you for it. That'll make it even worse in the long run. If it is your career, one day you'll retire, and then what are you going to do with your life? If it is your hobbies, things break, things stop. You can't do things forever the way you do them now. I don't know about you. This is a quick side note. Every time I get a new toy, I jack it up really quick. I got my guitar that I love very much. The first week I had it, I banged it into a table, put a huge gash in it. I got a new car before I went to seminary, and the, the day I got the car, I backed up into somebody else. I got a new motorcycle because I was 30 and single. I wanted something fast and crazy, and less than a month or so after having it, I laid it down, driving too fast, taking a turn too fast with wet roads. Like, it doesn't matter what I get. I, the Lord reminds me constantly, don't put your joy in that. Don't put your joy in those things. And be careful. Don't put your joy too much in your spouse or your kids or your mom or your dad or anything because those things will fail you or will not be around forever. But I will. That's what he's saying. It's the only place you're going to find all satisfying joy. It's hard for us to understand. But the more you stare and fix your eyes into the face of Jesus, the more it becomes plain and real to you. 
The problem why you don't understand that is because maybe you're not facing him enough to taste and see that the Lord is good. Maybe, you, maybe you've done the religious things, but you haven't really entertained him and, and opened up your life to him because he has shown himself to be real to you. If that's the case, maybe you need to pray and ask, Lord, am I really yours? Make yourself real to me because I know you're real. Fight for the all-satisfying joy of Jesus. Fight for it. Look, he goes on. In fact, I'll back up. We'll read the next verse. Let me give you the point first. So not only do you need to fight to fix your eyes on the prize, who is Jesus, but you also need to fight like your life depends on it. Fight like your life depends on it. That sounds crazy to us. You know, Jesus is the one that saves. I don't save myself. But yes, I'm telling you to fight like your life depends on it. Listen to this. All too often, we are our own worst enemies. All too often. That's what happens. We're the ones who make it harder on ourselves. Wouldn't you agree? Look at, look at the verse. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Look, the first thing we have to do is ditch the distractions. Ditch the distractions. And I'm going to tell you, for a lot of us in this room, that's harder than fighting the sin within us. I'm going to tell you to ditch the distractions. Look, I'm not saying it. Jesus is saying it. Here's how he says it. Through the Word, by the Holy Spirit, through the author of Hebrew, he's, he's telling us, let us also lay aside every weight. I'll put it in Greek terms. Get naked from the distractions. Lose the distractions. Stop giving your life to things that can never really give you joy. Do you know why you keep scrolling on Facebook? You know why we do that? Because we're never satisfied what we're looking at. And they make it easier every time you get something new out, right? You can scroll forever. Am I right? At least now on Instagram, it tells you, like, hey, you're back to where you already have been. Otherwise, we just keep scrolling. Because you can't find joy there, no matter how much you look for it. That's why games have to go to next levels. That's, that's why relationships are, are never quite good enough. You're cr- constantly trying to work on them. You will never, ever get it. Listen, I'm not telling you to drop all your relationships or even to drop Facebook. I'm saying to you, if it's a distraction from where you're trying to get, maybe you should consider putting it down for a while. Now, if you're married, I'm not encouraging you to leave your spouse. Hear me right. There is a place in Scripture that says that maybe you should not be physically intimate together for a little while, it says, so that you might pray. Not because you're holding something over your spouse, right? But because you want to pray and seek the Lord. What is it that's distracting your heart? Where have you put your hope? Most of the time it's not people. Most of the time it's things. We get distracted with things quite so easily. Let me give you an illustration real quick, right? The army of Alexander the Great was advancing on Persia, and at one critical point, it appeared that his troops might be defeated. The soldiers had taken so much plunder from their previous campaigns that they had become weighted down and were losing their effectiveness in combat. Alexander immediately commanded that all the spoils be thrown into a heap and burned. The men complained bitterly, but soon came to see the wisdom of the order. Someone wrote, it was as if wings had been given to them. They walked lightly again. Victory was assured. Maybe there's some things you need to throw out. Maybe some things you need to drop off at Goodwill on the way home today. Maybe some things you need to drop off at the emotional Goodwill in your life. 
Maybe there's some things you need to drop at the door before family comes in so that you can be more focused on what really matters. Because ultimately, when you fix your eyes on Jesus, a lot of the other stuff seems to not matter so much anymore. But we still keep it around just in case. Right? John Piper, he, he talks about raising some kids. He talks about this idea. It really helped me to read what he said. He said, I tried to raise four sons and one daughter in the Lord, and I recall numerous times when they wanted to do something I disapproved of. And they would ask, what's wrong with it? And with this text, talking about this text in Hebrews 12, and with this text and others in mind, I would say, don't just ask about your music, your movies, your parties, your habits, what's wrong with it. Ask, does it help me run the race? Does it help me run with all my focus and energy and love for Jesus? Does it help me be the best Christ-exalting marathon runner I can be? Don't set your sights on the minimal standard of avoiding cheating. Set your sights on the maximum standard of how can I be the most devoted, Christ-exalting runner possible? I don't think we're going to get to the end and be like, oh, I'm so glad I held on to those extra things. We're going to wonder why we didn't give it all up when we come face to face. He goes on, he says, If this world is your treasure rather than the immeasurable pleasures of being with Christ forever, you will not be able to love in a way that makes Christ look great. But if Christ is the all-satisfying joy set before you, you will be able to make him look as great as he is in your own life. Because it will mean everything. Fight for the all-satisfying joy of Jesus, church. Let us fight together. Let us encourage one another. Let us do it for the joy of knowing the Lord. Listen, here's the second part here. He says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. I'm going to tell you this way. Slay the sin that steals your joy because that's what it does. Notice, when you commit a sin that affects other people, you don't have joy even with those other people anymore. When you commit a sin that, 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 that stops your kind of relationship with your spouse for a little while, there's no joy there. It robs you of joy. It's, it's a fleeting pleasure that, that doesn't give what it promises, right? Whatever it is, that sin that you're holding on to, the sin you struggle with, slay the sin. Kill it. As John Owen said, best be killing sin before sin be killing you because that's the thing that it will do. Listen, Romans 8, 12 through 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Do we hear that? If you live according to the flesh, you will die. It's a promise. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Go back and read Colossians 3, 1 through 10, and see the same thing written in a more magnanimous way, making Christ exalted. Same thing. Kill the sin that steals your joy. Fight for the all-satisfying joy of Jesus. Fight for it. I'm, not, I'm telling you right now, if you struggle with a sin and you can't defeat it, bring another brother or sister into your, your, your life. Share it with them. Confess it to them and ask for their prayer and ask for their admonition, for their rebuking, for their encouragement. And let them walk with you through that. We're not meant to do it alone, church. Be real. Be confessional. Trust. Rely on others. Plead for the sake of Christ. Plead for God to help you overcome the sin for his glory. And the way he gets most glory is if more people are in on it, praying for you and working with you and talking with you and admonishing you and kicking you in the rear, right? Fight for the all-satisfying joy of Jesus. Look at this. Lay aside every 
weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Listen, I'll remember this close here. Stay in the fight even when you falter. Even when you falter. You could so easily put the word fail in there. Even when you fail. When you falter or fail, don't get up and be like, oh, I can't overcome it. I'm just going like, to do the thing, you know? No. When you falter, stay in the fight. You know how you can do that? Because he endured. Because your hope and your strength doesn't come from you if you're in Christ. It comes from him. If you're living in your own strength, you will fail. You will falter. You will be disgraced. You will be ashamed. But if you look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, you will find strength because he will become your strength. You can't separate the strength of the Lord from the Lord. You can't separate his power from him. You get the power, you get the strength to overcome your sin because you have him. And if your eyes aren't on him and you're not in a relationship with him and you've got him at arm's distance or further, or not at all, there's no power you're going to have to overcome sin. There's no strength you're going to have in the times of faltering. There's no steadiness, no rock, because he is the rock. Put your hope in him. Fight for the all-satisfying joy of Jesus. And lastly, let me say it like this, and it's not so much in here directly, but it is in here, and it's all through Scripture. Fight like other people's lives depend on you. Fight like other people's lives depend on you. We've said it already. I'm going to reiterate it with a quote from one of my favorite preachers, Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Love him so much, put his name in one of my kids' names, right? Great, Prince of Preachers. He just has some clarity he brings. Listen to what he says. You will see this if you first note his motive, who for the joy that was set before him. That's his motive. Jesus had a motive in all that he did. Men do not do much if they act from mere feeling and have no underlying design. Indeed, a life without an object must be a frivolous, useless life. Do you hear what he just said to us? If our object is not a real object, namely Jesus, it's a frivolous life. Jesus had before him the great joy of glorifying the Father in the salvation of his chosen. For this he lived. For this he died. It was a joy to him to think of accomplishing this object. Beloved, if you want to run your race all right, it must be for the glory of God and in the hope of the salvation of your fellow men. These two things blended into one must be your joy. Oh, that this motive took possession of our entire being. Look, if you say you love Jesus with all that's within you, but you don't love his church, that's his bride. You can't love him fully if you don't love his bride. You know this. I know this. You know this because you had a lifelong friend that married somebody. You're like, I don't know if I like that person. There's no hanging out with that friend without hanging out with that bride or that husband. You know what I'm saying? And they may not be the perfect spouse, and we know the church is not. But if you don't love the church, and I say that as a church, the church now and the church who will be. You recognize that all the people that are lost will be a part of the church one day. And you can either act like the older brother who doesn't want anything to do with them, or you can act like the older sister or brother who loved them and begged them to come to dinner with you. Look, if we love him, and if we have fixed our eyes on Jesus, and if we want him more than anything, we want to enjoy him with all satisfying joy, we will want what he wants because that's what brings us the most joy. And what he wants is for the Father to be glorified and for people to be saved. That's what he wants. And we will live that out. 
So we need to get over the shame because he endured the shame for us. There's no reason to be ashamed to share our faith. There's no reason to be ashamed to talk about Jesus. He already endured all that shame on the cross, despised it on the cross, but endured it in our place for us so that we could have him. And we have him. And there's nothing, nothing anybody can do that can take that away from us. Nobody can pluck us out of the hand of the Father. Nobody can take it away. That joy is all-encompassing, all-forever, never-ending joy in him because we have become his never-ending joy. It's crazy. This is good. This is so true. How can we not live in this truth this season in all of our lives? But the problem is, is that we fail and we get our eyes off the mark. You know what we need? We need somebody to bring us back on. And today, that's the word through this author of Hebrews by the Holy Spirit. It's me as the mouthpiece as I speak it as a sinner saved by grace. And it's on one another as we do life together, if we'll do life together. Do life together this week, brothers and sisters, with one another, with the lost in your families, and give them Jesus, only because you find your utmost joy in him. Otherwise, it's just, it's just fanfare. Find your joy in him. Fight for the joy, the all-satisfying joy of Jesus. You hear me? Fight for it. Fight, because nobody else is going to fight for you if you're not fighting. Fight for it. The, the great news is, though, he's already done the big fighting. He's won the battle. He's won the victory. It's all yours. You don't have to do anything else. He's done it. Just find joy in him. Just find joy because he's won it all on the cross in your place. Condemned he stood for you and for me that we might have him and love him forever, forever and ever to his glory. Amen. Father, would you help us today to fight for joy? Empower us by your Holy Spirit to fight for joy in your son Jesus. And Lord, no matter what happens, no matter what goes on, give us eyes fixed upon Jesus, your son, and help us, Lord, to cast aside all the distractions and all the weight of sin that so easily entangles, and let us run the race with endurance, the perseverance that you allow by your spirit, that we might know you and enjoy you forever for your glory and for the salvation of souls that do not yet know you. Lord, we thank you for the grace you've shown us in Christ. I pray today, Lord, if there's one here that does not know you, that you would not release them until they repent and believe in you. Would you do the work of the heavy lifting in their souls to lift them up to see your beauty? And then lead them to repent and believe by your power and the faith that you give them. Again, for your glory, Lord, and for our joy. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.